This is the Championship Chat Podcast, your home of news, views and debate from England's second tier. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Championship Chat Podcast. I'm your host, Ellie Jackson, and I'm joined as always by George Smith. George, how are you doing? I'm not bad, mate. How's things with yourself? Yeah, not too bad. All good. Looking forward to um, to a bit of time off work in the next couple of weeks, um, with Christmas ramping up. Um, and this is, I suppose, this is our last episode before Christmas, so we should try and make it Christmassy. If I can think of any Christmas themed puns as we go along, um, to, to liven the spirits of everyone. What do you think? Well, as it's you, you can give it a go. But we've se- we've heard some of your puns before, and well. Let's say they're not the best, but I'm happy for you to give it a go. If you embarrass yourself, it's your own fault. Yep, that has been my life motto in fairness, so I can't argue with that. As always, a reminder to make sure you are subscribed to this podcast feed, which you can find on all of your usual platforms. And make sure you're following us on Twitter and Instagram at ChampChatPod24. We are giving away a copy of Football Manager 22 at the moment. That's That giveaway ends on Friday, so make sure you follow us retweet the pin tweet and get involved if you fancy winning a copy of Football Manager 22 free of charge as well. Um, on today's podcast, we're going to be going through a slightly reduced docket after COVID got hold of the Championship weekend, but plenty to get our teeth stuck into. This is the Championship Chat Podcast. And where better to start our roundup of the weekend action than at Ewood Park, where Blackburn Rovers spanked Birmingham City 4-0 to move third in the standings. Um, five wins now in a row, George. Five clean sheets. Blackburn on on in fantastic form. Amazingly, they're now eight points clear of seven. So they are definitely the team that has distanced themselves the most from the from the chasing pack. You know, it feels like we've had such a condensed group of teams between fourth and fifteenth, if you like, um, for this for these playoff spots. But now it looks like Blackburn, along with West Brom, really putting some pressure on the top two. Um, amazingly, they're only one point behind Bournemouth. If I told you this, that six weeks ago after Fulham got spanked seven nil, um, then I don't think anyone would have believed you. So for for them to get spanked seven nil, Bournemouth going as well as they were six weeks later, they're now one point behind them, which is is pretty remarkable. And in terms of the game of the weekend, they were in complete control from from minute one. Um, John Buckley again, I thought real standout in that number ten role, playing ahead of Joe Rothwell and Lewis Travis. But they were helped, it has to be said, by a pretty awful afternoon for, for Sarkic in, in the Birmingham goal. I think he should have done better for the first one and pushed it right back into danger after Nyambe's cross. I want to give a bit of credit to Nyambe as well. I was, I was having a think last night about sort of championship team of the season so far and who would be contenders at, in all the positions. And I've seen right back, Nyambe certainly would be one of those right up there for me. And he's been crucial um, in this right wing back role in particular. Really good burst past Pedersen. Good cross. I think the goalkeeper should have been pushing that a bit further wide, personally. Buckley scores his first goal of the season. Then Sarkic caught in no man's land for the second. Lovely pass by Lenehan down the side of the defence. Um, and then good composure, nonetheless, from Kandra to make sure he, he scored after going round Sarkic. And then he gave away a penalty on Brereton Diaz. So a pretty awful afternoon for the Birmingham goalkeeper. But apart from one shot from Chuck Zaniki that crashed off the crossbar... Blackburn completely dominant, 3.72 xG. They could have had more. Scott Walton had a decent chance the first off, which he should have punished after another Sarkic error. Um, and Sarkic has been good this season. It's worth noting as well. He's been really good, but he, he had an absolute stinker near the weekend. 
He did. He had a he had a bad day at the office, and and they happen from time to time. But unfortunately for him, it came against the informed side in the division, and Blackburn most certainly made him and Birmingham pay as a, as a collective. But it's it's becoming the stage now where I'm running out of superlatives to describe this Blackburn team. There is so so much to like about it, and it extends like you like you said all the way from the back with uh, Nyambe at right back through the midfield with John Buckley, who, who for me deserved a goal at the weekend for the way he's played this season. He's probably been the the underrated player in that Blackburn team that fans of other clubs have not really took notice of because his goal scoring and assist stats haven't been there and everybody's been raving about Brereton Diaz instead. But he's been outstanding this season and he finally got his goal at the weekend. And obviously Brereton Diaz with a, with another two just to keep the collection going. And like you say, it's just a remarkable transformation since that, that 7-0 defeat to Fulham. I said last week that um, these sort of games can almost be catastrophic in a season because it can just mentally disrupt you so badly and you can go on such a bad run from a defeat like that. And Blackburn have took it in the complete other direction. They've played seven times since that game, won six and drawn one. Five wins on the, tr- on the trot now, five clean sheets in a row. They've scored the most goals at home in the Championship season, got the most wins at home, the most points at home. They've been outstanding in recent weeks and Tony Mowbray deserves a hell of a lot of credit for the way he's loosened the shackles on this team this season and got them playing as a really enthralling, entertaining team to watch. And I, and I said prior to the Fulham game that I thought Blackburn were going to be there or thereabouts this season. Because they've I been remember when, like... we had, um, when we had a little break in the uh, in the international break and we sort of asked, did a yeah. Q&A episode. I... You, you were big on Blackburn, in fairness to you. And I, don't, yeah. I didn't have them in my top six, but you were big on them. And that was before they'd really hit the top of this run. That was the thing. I, I'd looked at the stats and things like that and... Aside from the Fulham game this season, the four of the games they've lost have only been by one goal. They've been scoring goals in bucket loads. I mean, at home this season, they've beaten Cardiff 5-1. They've won 4-0 twice in the last three home games. I think they've that's the probably the bit that has gone under, under the radar a little bit, that how good in, at home in particular, but how many goals they're scoring at home. Because we all see that's that, that think. obviously we know Burton Dale's got like his 19th goal of the season at the weekend. But I think you forget some of the big scorelines they've racked up at the uh, Ewood Park in particular because... They weren't ever amazing at home, even last season. It's never been sort of a fortress under Mowbray, but now that's been the the real catalyst for this run. That's exactly right. I mean, they've played 12 games at home there so far this season. They've scored 28 times, conceded 16. Okay, seven of those were in were in one evening, but to have scored 28 times at home by the halfway mark of the season pretty much is is quite remarkable. The only other two. Yeah, the only other three teams that have scored more than 20 at home so far are Coventry, Bournemouth and Fulham. So it proves that they're up there with good competition. But to have scored that amount of goals at home already is a, is a remarkable achievement. When you when you remember as well that there were fears at the start of this season where the goals were going to come from after Adam Armstrong's exit. And Brereton Diaz has just stepped up and made it look easy. He's been an absolute revelation. I think for me what I like about him is the variety of goals that he's capable of scoring and the way he plays off the off the flank, he can come inside. He's just been a revelation. But as a whole, as I said a few weeks ago, like you said in that Q&A episode, I just had a feeling that Blackburn, were gonna, they were going to come on strong because, like you say, the warning signs have been there that they have got the ability to put teams to bed. And now as we approach Christmas, third in the table, potentially we're recording on, on Monday afternoon, Sheffield United visit Fulham this evening, meaning Fulham could open up a gap at the top, but they could potentially be three points off the top at Christmas. That's a remarkable turnaround considering where they were six or seven weeks ago. 
So Tony Mowbray deserves huge amounts of credit. And of course, everybody's going to point to Brereton Diaz as the main man, the man that's scoring the goals and doing the business. And of course, without him, they probably would be further down the table. They would be. But Tony Mowbray deserves credit for the way he's loosened the shackles on this team as a collective unit. You were critical of the way they were playing last season, suggesting that they need to come out, be a little bit more forward thinking, change the dynamics and things like that. They've done that. And the way they've played has been terrific going forward. But defensively as well, five clean sheets in a row. That is a really, really hard, tough ask in the Championship. And they've done that against sides like Bournemouth away from home, Stoke away from home. I think the thing with home. the defensive record is I think when a, when a team gets thumped, you often see them go into the shell a little bit, a bit more defensive and therefore tighten up. So that's not a shot. But usually that's at the expense of scoring goals as well. So normally you get thumped 7-0. You draw your next two two nil or win one 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 nil for example, but Blackburn has still kept that attacking intent whilst you know reining things in defensively, and they did have ten men for a you know for over an hour in that seven nil defeat. We should also add so um, yeah, definitely some some very fair and correct points there on Blackburn. Um, Birmingham are concerning me a little bit. I have to say one win in seven, pretty awful again. Apart from an EK smashing the bar, they didn't really offer anything. And, Ever since uh, Tahiti Chong got injured, they, they just look a bit boring and a little bit average. And that's what they were last season. And without Chong, they're certainly missing that spark in the final third. And, and they, even the players that were impressive defensively at the start of the season, I, I thought Pedersen had a really tough afternoon this week. So quite a lot of the players are back fit now, albeit they need a few games probably to get up to match speed. But they, they just look, they look short of confidence at the minute to me. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, at the start of the season, Birmingham, didn't they, came out flying out of the trap, started really, really well. And we'll remember our, our former former friend, Mr. Tom Coates. Got them. He's not dead. Well, we know, you know what I mean, predicting them to challenge for the top two. But that now seems a little bit dead in the water, I would say. But to be fair, they did start the season well. And like you say, a lot of that was down to Tahiti John. He was outstanding. He was providing that spark that Birmingham had been lacking. And since they've lost him, they've they've really really struggled. The goals have dried up. I mean, they, albeit they had okay, they have scored in three of the last four games, but they're not scoring consistent amount of goals. I mean, they're coming in dribs and drabs. One win in seven, like you say, four defeats in that time. Conceded nine goals now in three games. It, it is concerning, and for me, Lee Bowyer really really needs the support of the board in January to try and do something. I think in at both ends of the pitch, really. But on paper, going forward, Birmingham have got a decent crop of strikers for a championship club for, for where they are at as a club, where you kind of think not really going to challenge for the top end, but certainly shouldn't be flirting with relegation. So I think in that respect, Lebo, he's got to try and find more of his strikers. He's got to get more out of them. But defensively, I think they are in need of additions. Uh, obviously, Harley Dean seems like he's on his way out. Looks like his time at the club is up. So that's a that's a body that's out that they're going to need to no, replace. No great, no great loss, if we're being fair. Well, but it's another body down, isn't it? So it's mm. it's certainly a case of you may need to bring one in to cover that gap, even though he wasn't really featuring at all for Birmingham. But for me, I think Lee Bowyer's got to got to find a solution in quickly. I don't think he's in the danger zone of being sat yet, but no. I think certainly improvements are required, and that's fully expected with one win in seven games. It's not good enough even though reinforcements are needed. Yeah, definitely. And we saw some pretty out, outspoken comments from Bowie about the lack of budget for the January transfer window. So I wouldn't be too uh, too hopeful if I was a Birmingham fan that they're going to go and really 
bolster that squad because they've got, by the sounds of it, from what Bowie said, him and Gary Gardner have not got uh, Craig Gardner. Should I say not Gary Gardner? Have got not a lot to work with to to wheel and deal in the window. So it'll be interesting to see how things shape up at St Andrews. Middlesbrough one, Bournemouth nil. No win in in six now for the Cherries. Um, this was a in the first half. Bournemouth I thought were decent and they had a couple of big chances to go one nil ahead. Um, Jane Anthony pulling wide where. Definitely six weeks ago, he'd be slotting that into the bottom corner. Um, Solanke should have scored as well. I thought with a header at the at the back post. But they really fell away after half-time, um, Bournemouth. And Middlesbrough just got stronger and stronger. And Isaiah Jones, definitely the star man for them. Lovely pass for Sparrow for a chance just before he won the penalty. Lovely slide rule pass inside the uh, Lloyd Kelly, it was, inside that gap. And Sparrow, uh forced a good save from, uh, from Mark Travers. And then the penalty, Anthony gets robbed. Great driving run from Isaiah Jones and he gets brought down. Um, it's a definite penalty for me and Sparrow put that in the back of the net. But we're getting stronger and stronger under under Chris Wilder. It looks like a Chris Wilder side now as well. Now they've got some players back. Dale Fry coming into the heart of defence is going to make them stronger as well. And you can see how they're starting to work as a, as a system, as a unit. And Jones gives them that penetration and that pace that perhaps when they were playing under... Uh, Neil Warnock, they didn't really have someone who was quite as direct, who could really run at people and commit defenders. And in that right wing-back role, Wilder certainly gave the best of him. And, you know, to, to give that's a very important position to give such a young player in a in the, in a you know, a 3-5-2 system. So a lot of credit to Wilder, a lot of credit to Jones for performing. He did obviously have some minutes under, under Warnock, but he's certainly grown into the team more. And he looks the standout player at the moment for Middlesbrough in terms of getting them up the pitch. Yeah, I agree. He's really caught my eye. He looks a real talent. And you can see that Chris Wilder's clearly had a word in the ear and said, look, if you if you listen to me, I'm going to turn you into a much better footballer. And I think the signs are already there that he's developing well under Chris Wilder's watch. And I said when Chris Wilder got the job, of course, he's going to need to add to that squad in January. But Chris Wilder's record speaks for itself when it comes to developing players that he's already got to work with. I don't think there is a better manager capable of taking plays under his wing and, and transforming what he's already got to work with. He did it at Sheffield United with countless players, George Bullock, Ender Stevens, John Fleck, Jack O'Connell, just to name a few. He transformed those players from League One players to Premier League stars. It's it's quite remarkable just how well he's capable of doing this, but it's already showing at Middlesbrough. And like you say, with the young Isaiah Jones, the potential is there for him to be a star, I think, under Chris Wilder. And been very impressed by the start he's made under him. But overall for Borough, I mean... We are starting to see signs of what Chris Wilder was brought in to do, aren't we? It's three wins in four now, three clean sheets in a row, and then now two points off the top six, and that he's doing exactly what we anticipated he would do. So I'm not at all surprised by the impact he's having. And to be honest, yeah, there were going to be teether problems. He's encountered a few little stuttering moments, like the home defeat to Preston, probably not something that he would have expected or anybody else for that matter. But it's a process, and I think overall for what he's encountered with injuries and things like that. I think he's had a very good start and I think there's a hell of a lot more to come from Borough under him and I'm I'm quietly confident that they could be the outsider that creep into the top six. Of course, there's a long, long way to go, but I can I'm only see them sure getting better and better. sure outsiders when there's so much time left. I mean, we know well, well, it depends I'm, what they do in January. I'd love to I mean, see him a, a striker in January. Yeah, I think so. But in terms of outsiders, I mean, like, kind of come from nowhere in terms of, like, at the start of the season sort of thing where they mm. were stuttering a bit. Bit of a similar category to Nottingham Forest sort of thing where they've come rising up the table and then stormed their way into the pack. But, I mean, we we both expected he'd make an impact and that's exactly what he's done. 
Yeah, I, I think Borough have got a very good chance of the top six, especially depending on what they do in January. also depends on who can stay fit ultimately. And I, I would say that for pretty much the whole pack of teams that are chasing these these two or three playoff places that should be available. Bournemouth, I don't want to go too... It's weird with them because I feel like I feel like we've known that the lack of continuity in defence and the injuries they've had down that left side have been a problem during this run. Um, Zamora came back for this game, but clearly the confidence was shot. And I think if they go 1-0 up in this game, they probably might win it. But you could see as the game went on, they certainly fell away and it was Borough that got stronger. And that's probably the biggest concern and something we've not really seen from Scott Parker teams. Maybe this is down to, we know the stat where Bournemouth never went behind in the first half. Well, maybe usually they're ahead at halftime and then they're building on it rather than going into the second half not with a lead. Confidence low because they're on the biggest rut of the season. And then they faded away. And they, they weren't far off the strongest 11 at the weekend. So in some ways a bit concerning the fact they faded but I also think if they score first they probably might win the game and see it out with the back four back in back in place yeah I would agree with that it's obviously it's it's been a difficult spell for Bournemouth when you've when you've been on such a high level to have then encountered this form it is literally like you've fallen off the edge of a cliff that's what it will feel like but I said it a few weeks ago when Bournemouth were flying that a bad spell would be encountered at some point and and seemingly here it is, but it's how quickly you can stop this mini rut that they've found themselves in at the minute. I mean, I think the most concerning factor for me is that the fact that they were obviously winning games so well and performing so well, they've now only scored one goal in three games, which is a bit worrying. I mean, two games now without a goal, five, um, no, six without a win, I should say. One win, I think it is in eight games now. That That is really, really poor, but with respect to Bournemouth and not to be too critical of them, Fulham have stuttered of late as well. So it's not just them I'm that are pleased. having a bit of a blip. I'm glad that they're not having a runaway. It's good. Yeah, it's, it's certainly all of, all of a sudden, those two have been brought right back, haven't they? When we were only saying a few weeks ago that we thought the top two was almost game set and match and job done. But yeah, Bournemouth are having a bit of a bit of a wobble. It happens in this league. There's no doubt about that. Everybody encounters a stuttering period at some point over a 46-game season. It is to be expected. But when you look ahead for Bournemouth now, they've got... QPR the day after Boxing Day away from home. That'll be a stern test. QPR, very unpredictable team. You don't know what you're going to get from them. Then they've got Cardiff at home to wrap up the year and then Peterborough at home in their first game of the new year. So those two home games, to me, they've got to win those home games to really lay down a marker and say, look, we are back in the pack, sort of meaning business. So it could be a bit of a defining period over Christmas and New Year for for Bournemouth, but... uh, for me, Scott Parker has certainly just got to trust, try and keep the players calm, keep them motivated and say, look, every team experiences this at some point. It's not the end of the world. We're still up there. We're still in a strong position. Look at what we've achieved already. We, we more than certainly in this race because at the end of the day, if any Bournemouth fan at the start of the season would have accepted being in second place at Christmas with a new manager, lost their best player in Dan Juma, they'd have snapped your hand off. So, yeah, a little bit concerning, but certainly no reason for panic. Yeah, Nottingham Forest 2, Hull City 1. Forest now up to 7th in the league table as, as Steve Cooper continues to com- continue his miracle job at the City ground. Interesting tactically this one. They started 3-4-3 to match Hull's system and uh, Ryan Yates started at centre-back, interestingly, and they, they were dominating, missed a good few chances. They were the best side. And then OC, OC Tutu's come back into the team after 
injury recently. He's been playing at left back or left wing back. He was getting a lot of joy down that side. And he had to go off injured and that meant a real reshape. They went back to a back four. Jack Colback moved to left back. Um, Yates back into midfield and they got caught for the opener with that. Um, Jed Spence switching off, obviously used to playing higher up the pitch in, in, in a back five. Got caught out and it's a it's a fantastic finish from, from Keane Lewis Potter to put them 1-0 up. And then the game, obviously, flicks on a very controversial penalty. Um, Honeyman, he gets the ball. It's not a penalty. He gets the If anything, Alex Martin fouls George Honeyman. Um, and you can see why Grant McCann was very frustrated and upset with that decision because it does change the game. He gets Forrest back in at one all from a penalty with Grabben. And then a really, really... I have to say it was poor defending from Hull for the second one. But really, really cool finish from Brennan Johnson for 2-1. Forrester just winning from behind. Great mentality again. A little bit of fortune in their favour. But it, it was a game that I think ultimately they deserved to win. But probably not in the way that they ended up winning it. No, I'd fully agree with that. I mean, the highlights I've seen the first half, they were in complete control from start to finish. They they dominated the fashion dumpteen chances. And obviously, one long ball over the top has got Keane Lewis Potter in, giving Hull the lead. And at that point, when you've been Such so dominant, so it, oh, it was an outstanding finish. It was, it was another sign that this kid is going to be something special in years to come. Really, is a really big fan of Keane Lewis Potter. But as for George, Forrest, slightly off tangent, you've got what then? You're a Premier League club. You're Brentford or someone like that. Are you buying Brennan Johnson or Keane Lewis Potter for the same money? Ooh, that is a big one. That is a really tough one for me. Per- for me. Personal opinion, I would be going with Brennan Johnson. Me I too. do do really like him, but I'm also a big fan of Keen Lewis Potter. So both have got massive futures ahead of them, no doubt about that. But Keen Lewis Potter, I think, just gets edged out by Johnson on this debate. But going back to the game itself at the weekend, I thought Forrest, as I said, were magnificent in the chances that they fashioned, particularly in the first half. And it's just becoming impossible not to love and almost appreciate how good a manager Steve Cooper is. He's gone into Forest, a side that obviously they'd had one one victory in caretaker charge under Stephen Reid against Huddersfield. But prior to that, obviously they were rock bottom of the pile and being beaten every week. But I'm just going to run off some stats here since Steve Cooper came in. They've secured 30 points from 45, eight wins in 15 games, seven away games unbeaten, three wins in a row and 26 goals scored in that time. For me, and they've lost one. And lost once, and that was to the league leaders. So it, it underlines just how well a job he has done. And when you consider that he's gone into this job with this exact same set of players that Chris Hutton had, he's not signed anybody. It is remarkable what he's achieved and, under, un, and highlights, quite simply, what a manager Steve Cooper is at this level. So for me, it's impossible to be in awe of what Nottingham Forest are doing at the minute. As I said last week after the win at Swansea, I'm finding them entertaining to watch. They're on the front foot. And like I said before, many, many times on this podcast, Nottingham Forest is a big, big football club. It's got a big, loyal fan base. 26,000 there at the city ground at the weekend. Yeah, and they want to get back in the... They're a Premier League club. They are a big club. At the end of the day, yeah, people say, but that was years ago, that was years ago. They're ex-European Cup winners. They've got a pedigree in football and history in this country. There's no doubt about that. So they are certainly ones to watch this season for me. There's no doubt about that. And... We've spoken, obviously, there about the collective and Brennan Johnson as well, but Lewis Graben as well. He's been in terrific form since Steve Cooper got the job. 14 appearances under him, eight goals and three assists. He's been a revelation in recent weeks and he's leading by example as the captain. 
And for me, I think even though he is getting on in his years now, I still think he is one of the top end strikers in this division because he's got the experience, he knows where the where the net is, and he's delivering. And with players like Zink and Argel and Johnson around him, you are going to bring the very best out of him. There's no doubt about that. So huge credit to Steve Cooper for the job he's done. Huge credit to Nottingham Forest for the way they've they've adapted to his ideas and welcomed him into the system. But I mean, alongside Blackburn. Forest are the team to watch out for at the minute. And for me, they're an absolute joy to watch. Been very, very impressed by them in the last few weeks. Very impressed. After my rant last week about Steve Cooper, I do want to just say this podcast isn't sponsored by Nottingham Forest or Steve Cooper, unless they want to be. And then we're, we're very open to offers. But um, <laughs> I think we're big fans, certainly, of Steve Cooper at, at the moment and the job he's doing at the city ground. I have to say, I want to give some credit to Hull. Um, I thought they were much, they are so much more improved than they were six weeks ago. First defeat in se- uh, seven games is for them. Changing shapes really helped that, going to a back three. Um, Nathan Baxter coming in goal has been a big difference for me, as has the return of George Honeyman, who was so integral for them last season. And they probably weren't the better side here, as I said. I think Forrest did deserve to win it, but it's a game they wouldn't have even competed in two months ago. I think two months ago, this would have been a home banker, regardless of Forrest's form. But away from home, they're competing better. Uh, say it's one defeat in seven. It's a good run. And I do think they look like a lot of the players have now adapted to championship football. They look a little bit more solid. I think adding the extra centre-back in was crucial. I think when you look at the, the makeup, you're looking at uh, Deshaun Bernard and Jacob Greaves, two really good defenders, but they're young, inexperienced and don't have championship pedigree. Move to a back three, give them that ex- extra security, let them show their ability on the ball, which they've clearly got. Um, and I think they have benefited from that. So although it was a defeat for Hull, I do want to say this wasn't a, a massive drop-off in performance um, and still akin to the sixth game on beaten run we've just seen from them. Bristol City 2, Huddersfield Town 3. Probably the game of the weekend, in, in all fact, at um, Ashton Gate. Seven away games without a win for Huddersfield prior to, to this weekend. I'd not really noticed that stat crop up. And they've and they probably thought it was going to be more after they went one 0 down after about five minutes and then missed their fifth championship penalty in a row, um, which is quite a remarkable statistic. It was a very good save from Bentley rather than a poor pen from Danny Ward, I have to say. Um, and given the amount of points that Huddersfield had given up in recent weeks, they'd have been quite nervous going into the um, final few minutes at two one until Danny Ward then made it three one and gave them a cushion. In terms of um, Best performance, I thought Dwayne Holmes looked really good. Really smart finish for for what was the equaliser. Um, he's playing well. I like Daniel Sanani as well. I've seen him live a few times and I think he's got, I think he picks up clever positions and he's probably a player that Huddersfield were, were lacking in pre-season. He came in very late in the window from Norwich and as a number 10, he looks he looks like a sort of clever little player playing in the pockets of those 3-4-3. A bit like, when Carol Lighting went last season, they were uh, they were missing that creative spark from midfield. And he's that, albeit playing more as an attacker than a midfielder, unlike Lighting did last season. He's been good. So him and Holmes in the pockets were very good in this one. And I, I do think Danny Ward's getting better with every game. He, he definitely is, is the number one striker there. Jordan Rhodes is back on the bench now after injury. Fraser Campbell doesn't appear to be getting much of a look in. And, and I like Danny Ward. He just has not been able to stay fit and, this is probably the best run of games Huddersfield have seen from him. And it's been a decent return of goals. I thought the penalty was unlucky. It was a good predatory header for the for 3-1. And I thought his finish last weekend against Coventry was really good as well. So I'd like to see him be more clinical. He missed a sitter in the West Brom game that I covered very recently. But I do think he's offering them more. And I do think he's got good mobility, good work rate up front. 
and he gives them a bit of an outball. So I'm liking what I'm seeing from him at the minute and a big win for Huddersfield given the, the recent form. Yeah, absolutely. I think, to be honest with you, I, I watched Huddersfield last weekend in the draw with Coventry and they were absolutely battered in that game. So I'm quite surprised to see them have responded in this manner, obviously, against very different opposition and obviously a very different situation with Bristol City. Not the uh, not the best of clubs when it comes to playing at home, but it was a really, really good result for Huddersfield the weekend. And one I felt that they needed after a, a bit of a sluggish period, shall we say. Not not the worst period in the world, but sluggish is probably the right way. There have been a few ups and downs and things like that. So it, it's good that they managed to get that to, off the chest and back to winning ways. Like you say, Danny Ward was pretty much the main architect of all of it. Goal and assist, missed penalty as well. But I think on Ward, like you said, he's it's almost like he's been reborn. He's had a lot of clubs in his career. He's been around again, the block. He's just been made yeah. of glass. Exactly. That's the thing. He's had a good run of form in the last few, in, in terms of being able to start games and play in matches. I mean, he's he's featured in every Huddersfield fixture in the Championship this season, bar two. So it proves that he's seemingly in the best and I watched, of his life. I watched a lot of Huddersfield in pre-season and he just didn't look up. He just didn't look fit. He looked like someone that had barely played football for... Yeah. He hadn't had a run of six games starting for two years and that's that's where he was at so it's good to see him fit because he is I think Huddersfield's best striker when when he's fit yeah he is a good player when he's up and at it he really is and I mean his career to say it's obviously like you say it's been in dribs and drabs of injuries and things like that he's played 259 times in the championship in his career he's an experienced player and he's been around a long long time 47 Mm. so it's not the best record in the world must admit but when when you look at it, in his last two games, he's got two goals and an assist. It's heading in the right direction for him. And obviously, Huddersfield have, since Carl and Grant left, really have been lacking the out-and-out goal poacher that's going to stick them in the onion bag week after week. So if they can keep him fit, get Jordan Rhodes back in and seemingly try and rediscover what he used to do, the Jordan Rhodes of old, it could be a successful partnership for Huddersfield Town. But obviously, it's important not to get carried away, but... It was a really, really big win for them at the weekend, I felt, considering they went behind so early on as well, to show the character to come back, especially after missing the penalty as well. You've got to give huge credit to Carlos Corbran. And I think when you look at the grand scheme of things for Huddersfield Town this season and how things have been going for them as a whole, we're now at the halfway point in the season. They're 10th in the table, two points off the top six. Any Huddersfield fan in the world would have snatched your hand off for that. Because I said at the start of the season that the recruitment, I thought, was very uninspiring. I thought it was was quite disappointing. So to be in that position, even though they've had ups and downs and form's been a bit streaky, I think Carlos Kogelbrun can reflect on the full half of the season and think, yeah, we've done a good job here. We're about where we should probably be, but perhaps exceeding expectations a little bit with the recruitment side of things of what we did. So I think you've got to give them huge credit because when when you look at it and you think they're two points behind QPR in fifth, it's a remarkable effort really because QPR's recruitment in the summer was, in my opinion, a million times better than what Huddersfield did. So big credit to Huddersfield. They've done very, very well. And I think Carlos Corbran can, as I say, look back on what they've achieved so far this season and be very proud. Yeah, I would agree with that on the recruitment side. Um, Blackpool 3, Peterborough 1. Big win this for for Blackpool, especially after they went 1-0 down at home. Um, Sir Ricky Dembele on the score sheet for Posh. But this was all about Keshi Anderson. He was the star man. Um, he got our star player of the weekend. Um, Equaliser at the perfect time and an assist for um, Sonny Bradley to make it 2-1. And then 
Um, Jerry Yates finishing it off for 3-1 to seal the win. In two goals, obviously, right at the end, 86 and um, 90 in, in the 93rd minute for, for Yates. So, big win for Blackpool. They've not been great of late. And I think I'm right in saying this is as many goals as they've managed in the last seven games, um, the three that they, they tallied at the weekend. And it was really important that they came back. No one panicking by any means at Bloomfield Road, but since the new contract was signed by Neil Critchley and, and certainly after that, you know, really good run where we were thinking, hang on, could they sort of break into the top 10 here? And they looked such a good coherent side, sort of coincided with Shane Laver getting injured. Um, they've struggled certainly offensively and it's all been sort of low margin defeats, which is why we all had confidence that they would get back on the winning trail. But if they lost again at the weekend, then all of a sudden they would have been dragged right back into it, especially with Hull's recent form. So really important that they beat a relegation rival and got back on that winning trail. And I think you could see that relief in Neil Critchley's celebrations at the end. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I don't know, you might not agree with me on this, but I think I would go as far as saying in terms of this recent, recent not a slump, but struggle that Blackpool have experienced. I, for me, I would say it's probably been, they've probably been the victims of their own success. Because I think if you'd have looked at it and thought Blackpool back in the championship for so long, seven games without a win, it's not really that unexpected, but when they've been on such a good run like they had been, yeah, if you, just jumbled, kind of, you just if you kind jumbled of looked the at results thought, up, exactly, and said, this is the form. You say, yeah, but you still downward, you know, momentum. Particularly, they are ultimately their their main aim has got to be survival. So when you go on such a dip of form, you have to worry it's got to end at some point, or you end up getting dragged back into things. And I think exactly. if they'd lost at the weekend, I think that would have been a fair point to go. Hang on, do we need to be a little bit more concerned? Yeah, they won. Uh, it doesn't matter. Fully agree with that because when you look at it, they're slap bang in the middle of the table. They're only five points off the top six. Any Blackpool fan in the world, if you would have told them that in August, they wouldn't have believed you. They'd probably laughed at you. So it highlights just how well they've done. It's very similar to Huddersfield in a sense that they've, for me, exceeded their expectations. But obviously for Blackpool, it's very different being a newly promoted team. But I think when you look at Blackpool as a whole and break their team down one by one, there is some good individual players in there. And like you say, Shane Lavery getting injured was a big loss for them. That was a really big blow at a time when they were just beginning to get into their stride and that knocked them off the perch a little bit. But there were signs in those games, though, that they were still up and at it and really giving everything. Because I thought against Derby in that 1-0 defeat last weekend from the highlights I saw, I thought they were the better side and they narrowly lost 1-0. So they've been in these games. Obviously, the 3-0 defeat to Luton was a bit of an outlier. The other defeats they've had have literally been 1-0 defeats. And they've had three draws in there against a good Swansea side away from home, West Brom at home, QPR at home, some good teams that are chasing the top end of the league. So I think it's important for a little bit of perspective on Blackpool at the minute. So big win at the weekend in a game, I think you would have expected them to win against a Peterborough side that we know are absolutely diabolical away from home. It's, it's a shocking record they've got away from home. It really is. I worked a stat out actually last night for our, um, our Twitter page. And for Peter United now, it's, it really does make grim viewing. They've won just one of their last 16 away games in the Championship now, dating back to when April 2013. One who, win in who 16. Lost? Who, who lost to them? Oh, God, now you're asking me. Oh, I don't know. I didn't know if you had head. the information, Towns. I don't. But no, one defeat in 16. Um, uh, one win in 16 away games. That is absolutely appalling. I mean, it's 10 defeats in 11 this season. Mm. It's... Yeah, you can't keep going on with that run. You really can't. It's it's almost a case of like when Wickham got promoted a couple of years ago, we all expected them to be the whipping boys and 
Peterborough now are resembling that, but away from home, where they literally go away from home and you just think, yep, they've lost before a ball's even been kicked. And they can't go on with that because it is going to damage morale. It is going to damage the confidence of the team. Just puts so and much pressure on that home form, doesn't it? Because it does. They just Enormous. can't stay up unless they win half the home games. Well, that's the thing, isn't it? I mean, we look at it now. They're, they're in the relegation places. They're only two points from safety. But when you look at the teams directly above them, Cardiff, Reading, Hull, you would expect them to improve. Certainly Cardiff and Reading, without a doubt. And pick points up away well, from Reading, home here Reading and there. Be there. If it wasn't for the points to do it. Yeah, like exactly. So. But obviously, the matter of the table lies. You you would expect them to improve and get points on the board and climb away from danger. So for Peterborough, like you say, if they don't realistically win probably half of their remaining home games, they are in deep trouble. And they just concede so many goals away from home. And it again begs the question about what we raised a few weeks ago. Were they right to give Darren Ferguson a long-term contract at this level? For me, I still think the jury's out on that one. And I just I find it very, it's very odd. He's it's come back and said guilty of not deserving that contract. <laughs> well, it's, it's certainly not good enough, is it? That's for sure. But it is what it is. It's clearly that uh, Darren McCantley is a big fan of, of Darren Ferguson. So on we go, but they've they've got to resolve this away from and, and very, very quickly indeed, because if this continues, they're only going to be heading in one direction and very, very quickly as well. Yeah, final game of the weekend. Um, obviously, COVID putting, you know, putting away a lot of these games. Uh, Barnsley nil, West Brom nil. I don't know how West Brom didn't win this this game of football. XG of one point seven five to zero point zero nine. Kipre hit the post. Hugo missed the sitter. Colin Grant missed the sitter. Um, Helix uh, should have been sent off at the end. Barnsley smash and grab, but again, I know it sounds harsh because this is a good point for Barnsley, but. They're just not going to win football games playing this pragmatic. They've got to win games. They can't keep drawing because well, they're going down as things stand. And that sounds harsh because it's a good point. But they got outplayed and I haven't seen a massive improvement in their underlying numbers to suggest a win's around the corner. I've seen an improvement enough defensively that I think, yeah, they can get a few more points on the board away from home in particular. But are they going to be good enough to win games at home, which is what they need to do? I, I've not seen enough of that. I'm still not seeing them look more expansive going forward to win matches, and it's free, you know, three point hauls, which is going to get this gap to the the chasing pack closed. Do I do I think they'll be hard, they're harder to beat? I think they are harder to beat under uh, Payas Bargi. I'm not sure they're going to win enough games to claw that gap back, from what I've seen so far. Yeah. And they were they were yeah. outplayed. They should have lost this game at the, on Friday night. Well, I didn't, I didn't see the game, but I've, I've seen the statistics and seen some of the highlights. And like you say, it was it was a miracle, really, that Barnsley did avoid <laughs> did avoid defeat in that game. But I think when you look at it, the fact that they've they've scored something like one home game, one goal in four or five home games now, it's just not good enough. And this is a side that last season were were on the cusp of promotion. Let's not it forget. It probably yeah. seems a bit harsh to say this because he's not been here long, and I appreciate that. But they're just not in a no. position where they can afford to to waste games. They can't, like you say, they they are looking more and more destined to go down week by week. The gap isn't getting any smaller, so they've got to find a way to win games very, very quickly. Yes, they've only lost one in the last four, but they've not won any of those four. It's three draws in there, so it is a great concern. The goals are drying up, which is a major problem. And like I said, this team, let's not forget, got to the playoffs last season. Yeah, they lost a very good manager. Yes, they lost a very good player in... Um, Oh, Daryl DK, his name slipped my mind there, uh, and Alex Mowat as well. But 
for the majority, it's the same set of players. And they, they've got to look at themselves. They, they have got to take some of the blame. You can't point it all at, um, at Marcus Shopstore and the former manager. So problems lie there. That is the issue. They can't score goals. That is a major, major problem. They're not exactly leaking goals under Poyer as Bargy. That's the thing. They've not been looking overly vulnerable. This is what I mean. I do think they've become harder just, to beat, but it's just not going to be enough to get them out of the problem exactly. they're in. Exactly. They've got to put the ball in the net at the other end of the pitch, and they're not doing that. I mean, they've scored two goals in the last four games. It's it's not good enough at the end of the day, and they've won one game since since August. It's Christmas in four days' time. It's it's not good enough that... They are going to be relegated. There's no doubt about that. If they continue in this in this vein of form, and let's not forget the two games they have won were against the Coventry side, which they did not deserve to beat. They were battered no, on the day. That was a fluke. And against a Derby side that were were struggling at that moment in time, not playing particularly well. So it's it's very concerning for Barnsley. They've got to turn it around very very quickly. But like you say, if they carry on in the way they're doing things at the minute, there's no sign of that happening. I think we're halfway through the season now. They have been the worst team in the championship so far. I think that's yeah, only a fair I'd agree comment. with that. I mean, statistically, it's true as well, given that yeah. Derby would have a mass yeah. more points. Um, they've so won yeah, fewer games, of... fewer games than anybody. They have won fewer oh. games. They've joined. They've won the joint fewest games, I believe, in the whole. No, only Newcastle and Burnley have won fewer in the EFL. They've won the joint fewest with Scunthorpe United. So yeah, it's it's bad. It's bad. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that that rounds off this weekend's recap, but we've got a little bit of breaking news um, that I think would be good to discuss. It's a decent point with the reason that this podcast is going to be a bit short this week is obviously because there's less games and that's because of the COVID outbreak that's been going on across English football, in the Premier League, in the EFL, even in the National League. Um, clubs are struggling to with the Omicron virus that's spreading. And um, there's been a statement by the EFL that's been put out about half an hour ago to say that the fixtures are going to continue um, in, in as planned and going forward, George. Where do you stand on games being played? Where does sporting integrity come into it? And should we be taking a two-week break? For me, I want to see football continue, but I don't understand why we're trying to force teams to play their academy players. It's not that important. There needs to be, for me, you either say... You can you either have more flexibility with postponing games, or you have a two week break and try and get everyone back up to full fitness. Because there's no point playing games in terms of sporting integrity, in terms of merit, if teams are completely understrengthened. And I know you can have teams that are injured and stuff, but if this is happening in the Premier League to the extent it is, which it is, how can clubs in the Championship, League One, League Two, we've got this problem at Grimsby, who I of course cover where their game's been called off tomorrow and they had 10-plus players out with COVID at the weekend and they had to play an FA Trophy game that never should have gone ahead. If you're going to make these... If you're going to say football's got going to continue, you've got to let teams call these games off when you've got such an outbreak of this. It's not fair on the players that are available because those that are fit are going to have to play more and they are going to get injuries and that's not looking after players' welfare. So for me, play on, but have some flexibility and you've got to... We've got... I think it's stupid as well that the Premier League isn't saying you need X amount of cases to have a game called off. What they're doing on a on a game by game basis that is ridiculous. Now that there is a nuance with the Premier League, where of course the money there in terms of broadcasting is a completely different stratosphere. You know, there's a lot of people paying a lot of money to show Premier League games across Christmas. I get that; that is different. 
But you had an instance last midweek, as we record now, where Manchester United had had an outbreak. Their game at the weekend had been called off. They were never going to be able to play Bright, uh, play Brentford, it was. And the game got called off at midnight, less than 24 hours before kickoff. How is that fair to travelling fans who have paid for tickets and hotels, probably, for the last away game before Christmas to go to Brentford? And it's not Manchester United's fault because they're not allowed to call it off until um, until the Premier League gives their say-so. Whereas if they've got X amount of cases, they can call it off. Now, Chelsea at the weekend, for example, and I know this is Premier League, not EFL, that should never have been called off. And that's wrong where teams are trying to call it off where you've got clearly got a strong enough team. Chelsea's team was far strong enough. Didn't even put a player from the youth academy on the bench and had two goalkeepers, which is a joke given the amount of quality they've got in their academy and given the quality of teams where they've won how many FA FA Youth trophies to not put a player on the bench. So I do think teams should have to use their academies, certainly in the Premier League. But in the Championship and lower down, if you've not got first-team players, the games aren't going to be competitive and that that affects sporting integrity. So you either play on for me and you give more flexibility to postpone these games where maybe if you've got seven cases, maybe is a fair place because you can have it you know, you could argue this with injuries, but obviously that, that can be helped to a certain extent in some situations. Or we take a two-week break from football. And I don't think anyone wants to do that. And that's not what they're going to do, obviously, from the, the statement we've had. And when the games are so congested, you can't ask players to play the same group of players to play 90 minutes on Boxing Day and then on the 28th. They'll get injuries. It's not safe. No, I fully agree with all of that. And I don't even know where to start after that monologue. I really don't. But no, for me, I don't want to see a pause at all. I really, really don't at any level of the game. I mean, football, yeah, it's not for everyone, but a hell of a lot of people in this country, it helps them massively mentally, whether they're watching on TV, going to games or whatever. Obviously, we don't know anything yet confirmed as of yet at this moment as time as we record on Monday the 20th. But I think all points are suggesting at some point soon, games again are going to go behind closed doors, which, again, nobody wants at all. But for me, I think if the season is stopped, it's going to have a very damaging impact. But for the for the fact of, like you say, comparing the Premier League with the, with the Championship League 1, League 2, and the Chelsea example is a very good one. That Chelsea bench on Sunday against Wolverhampton Wanderers was... Pretty they should ridiculous. be points. They should ridiculous. be points not putting they a youngster had, on the bench in that scenario. They should they've be got points. more than enough talent in the lower reaches of that club to call upon. They've got academy players that would probably walk into most championship starting 11. Ten, 10 internationals that started in there. Exactly. Chalabers the only one that didn't. Exactly. It's ridiculous. As for what you're saying about the academies and things, I think, personally, the situation of whether games are postponed or not has got to be just made on a club-by-club basis. And it's just got to be done as early as possible to avoid what when you when you say club sport. by club basis. Do you what, what do you mean? Do you mean it should well, each I'm, game should be done game by game rather than having yeah. set amount of yeah? I think why? it all depends. All depends on the scenario. Say for instance, I don't know, I don't know. Use Boxing Day for example. Hull are playing Blackburn Rovers. Say Hull have got ten players out with it, and Blackburn are fine to play. Do you see that as fair if Hull have got a call up on then a ton of youngsters? No, it should be called against... Exactly, that's what I'm trying yeah, so to say. I'm saying. No, I'm saying that if any club has got, for example, seven cases, the game's just called off automatically. Yeah, I Rather agree. Rather than going to the AFL and going, can we call this off, and then wasting yeah. hours. Oh, so it's making this exactly. Okay. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to get a point across. But like you said, with the Premier League, 
they've got the strength in depth. Majority of these clubs, certainly the top end, like your Manchester United, your Arsenal, your Liverpool sort of thing, to dive deep into the to the vault of the academy players, whereas your likes of your Burnley's and your Norwich's probably haven't. So it is a difficult one, but ultimately, I, I don't want to see the season stopped. I really, really don't. I don't see how we can stop it again when we've got to cram in in 2022, we've got to cram the season in starting earlier. We've got the World Cup to accommodate. Of what course, help. What a joke that is. Oh, oh it's pathetic. I mean, let, let's all go out and celebrate England getting into the last 16 in the freezing cold and the snow. Fantastic. Can't wait for that instead of the middle of a, a June evening in the sunshine. But, I mean, come on. It's, yeah, it's all got to rest on, on, on players' health. Of course, it has. That is, that is above all else than, than football. But, for the mental health of the country and probably for the players as well. You've got to try your hardest, I think, to get these games on and keep things going. I mean, if we are going to stop the season again now, when we've got a vaccine in circulation, and yes, there is debate about which players have and which players haven't had it, if this continues and persists, we'll be like this every year. Because mm. it's not the virus isn't going to go away. It's never going to disappear. It's here to stay. So we've got to find a way to live with it, Accommodate it as best we can, move forward. At the end of the day, if you have got two vaccines and a booster, there is nothing else you can do. It is your best form of protection. And that's yeah, why we the... would urge, obviously, everyone and all the players to make sure they do get vaccinated yeah. because I think there the is figures came out this week and they were a little bit alarming that one in four players hadn't had the booster. We yeah. know that they're, they haven't had a vaccine, sorry. And we know they're obviously a lot less... Um, of a risk than the normal yeah. person and they have their rights to not do that and I don't believe in false vaccination but nonetheless nope, they should I be don't. hugely encouraged to go and do that because I suppose it, the more people that we do get vaccinated the quicker then hopefully we can get back to some sort of normality Yeah that's the thing and I think if more pe- more players were to take that up there is a lot less likely of an opportunity of this happening say every every winter I mean, we've been we've been ticking along quite nicely since the start of this season until literally last weekend. We've been ticking along very, very nicely indeed, where it's not really impacted football all that the, much. The, the amount of games that got lost this weekend, I think half of, the, half of the football league went. It is. There was, there was about four Premier League games. But it, I think it's important to remember that, obviously, we are living in different times at the minute and we all want nothing more than getting out of this as quickly as we can. But I think it's also important to remember that we're at that time of year now where... Viruses are a lot more present, such as winter colds, things like that. They're always in more circulation at winter time. They always, always are. Um, so for me, I think if these players can get, can obviously you can't force it on them, but if they could take the vaccine as many as possible, I don't know which clubs have been very stern. I know Liverpool and Jurgen Klopp have been very, very keen. I saw something the other day saying that he's not even going to sign Wolves, players. Wolves have got Wolves the best. Today. I think Wolves are now at 100% now. I believe today, as we record, Wolves' players were going to have all the boosters and staff today. I think they were doing the lot in one go, so it proves that they've been very, very keen to get it done. But obviously, Jurgen Klopp has probably probably spoke most openly about it all, certainly in the Premier League. So it's just it's just a dire situation at the minute. It is concerning, but at the minute, it seems like the season is going to carry on. But I think deep down, everybody knows, unless a miracle does happen, that we are heading behind closed doors again, possibly for a period of time. But we don't know anything at the minute for definite. That is pure speculation. But 
the point is do suggest that that could be around the corner, which is the last thing that we wanted again. This is the Championship Chat Podcast. We're going to round off this week's podcast now with our shocks and bankers looking ahead to the Boxing Day action on Sunday. George, what have you got? Well, obviously, permitted that these games go ahead. Obviously, we've got to, we've got to bear that in mind. We had to change your shock, didn't we, last week at the very last minute. But you got it right. We'll give you that. We did. Matching me. What was my original shock? Did that come in? You went for Preston to be Millwall. Obviously, it didn't come in. Yeah, because it was off. You idiot. Silly boy. Anyway, this weekend for my banker for the festive fixtures, I'm going to go with Fulham to beat Birmingham. Can't see anything other than a Fulham win for that one. I really can't. Birmingham, diabolical at Piper in the weekend. Fulham, stuttering of late, but you'd expect them to, to win this one. In terms of a shock this weekend, I think it's quite hard to pick one because there's a few you could go for. But I'm going to go really, really brave. And I'm going to go with Hull to beat Blackburn. Ooh. I've just got a sneaky suspicion. I mean, Boxing Day fixtures, we know, have the element to produce surprise. Anything could happen at, at this time of year in the football. It's a great time of the year for the championship. So I'm going for that this weekend. I'm going to go for Hull to shock Blackburn Rovers. I'm gone. Uh, I'm backing you up with a double banker this week of Fulham to beat Birmingham because Fulham are very good at home. Birmingham are very bad at football at the moment is my cutting edge analysis for that one. So Fulham to beat Birmingham, I think that's going to be in a lot of dockets and uh, bet slips for the weekend. And my shock, I've gone for Derby to beat West Brom at Pride Park. Uh, we don't really know what shape Derby are in at the moment because they've had a few postponements um and let's and they've had quite a bad outbreak of covid where that obviously affected a lot of the players that played against blackpool when they most recently played so we'll see what they're what shape they're in but i just feel like it felt like west Brom took a step back on friday night after probably a couple of steps forward i think they came back and it, i would be interested to see how they fare at pride park derby's home record at home is pretty decent i think 12th when i last looked they've got the 12th best home form so uh, nearly top off home form compared to um, West Brom's recent struggles away from home. They've not been great. I think they've won one of the last six West Brom on the road or something like that. Certainly not too impressive. So first win in a while at Coventry, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. So I think that was one in first um, one in six for them. So I'm going for Fulham as my banker, like you against Birmingham and Derby to beat West Brom as my shock. And that does mark the end of this week's Championship Chat podcast. If you do enjoy our podcast, please make sure you subscribe in your usual podcast app and make sure you're following us on Twitter and Instagram at ChampChatPod24. We will be giving away that copy of Football Manager um, on Friday. So if you're not already in the draw for that, to, to win that for free, then please do make sure you get involved. And sharing this podcast helps go a long way to help us reach new listeners. So if you do enjoy our weekly breakdowns, please do drop the episode a retweet when it goes live every week. And you can support this podcast page with our Ko-Fi account, contributing the cost of a cup of coffee towards our monthly overheads on a one-off basis. The link to donate is in our podcast description if you do feel so inclined over the Christmas period. Have a great week. Merry Christmas. Enjoy the championship football. Enjoy the uh, the Christmas turkey and your festive traditions. And we'll speak again very soon after a Boxing Day feast. This is the Championship Chat Podcast, your home of news, views and debate from England's second tier.